Good morning. How's everybody doing today? Good. All right. Hey, uh, I just got back from vacation a few weeks ago. Uh, I got to visit my family. Uh, it was my parents' anniversary. We got to celebrate them. And we had a special guest on this vacation. We actually had my grandfather, the, the patriarch of the Hollemans. Uh, he stands at a grand total of five foot five. Um, and this is me, my grandpap right here. Uh, he loves to tell people that I got my height from him. Uh, he came to all my basketball games, had pretty much no idea what was going on the whole time, but he would sit there really stern like this with a formal hat, just sitting there, you know, and he always like had comments and I was like, some of the best coaching advice from my grandpap, love him to death. Um, just an amazing man. I mean, he, he served in Korea. Uh, he was one of the first air traffic controllers. Um, him and my grandmother fostered over 200 kids in their lifetime, just a legacy, and they had five of their own kids, by the way. You know, they had five. So my, bro, my dad would always say, we always just had more brothers and sisters running around. Um, and one of the things I love about my grandfather the most, and it's right here, he's a storyteller, y'all. He's got the sharpest mind. He's in his 90s, but yeah, he remembers things. He remembers how much he bought things for down to the nickel. You know, he just, he just knows that. He could, and he, when he tells a story, and, and you guys know, good storytellers, they, they bring you into the story. And he's not a really loud guy. He's really quiet, and you have to kind of come close. That's what I was doing there. He showed me some of his woodworking projects right now. And, um, and he brings you in, he uses his hands. And I, I, there's so many times that week where I just got to say, Grandpa, do you, do you remember the time that you told me this? And he said, yeah, I remember. And he would go in that story again. And some of the best storytellers, that they have that ability to draw you in and to bring you into that environment. So much so that my grandfather, just hear this, he, he was telling me, um, we, we just were like, you know what, we, we gotta capture these. And so he sat down with my cousin and he talked for 13 hours. He had 13 hours with the stories. Not straight, because the, the man needs a break, you know what I mean? He's like, I think I'm done now, you know? And like, but 13 hours, we caught 13 hours of the story and we're excited to kind of edit that and get to just capture that memory. I mean, it's amazing. I, I probably couldn't remember 13 minutes, you know what I mean? But he has that. And so I bring him up because I think there's this gift that all good storytellers have. And something I hope that I've picked up from grandpa. I love telling stories. I get animated and you probably know that by now. Um, but they bring you in. And so this series is all about Jesus, the storyteller. We call these parables, right? And these are the stories that Jesus taught. And if you've been around the church, you may be familiar with this idea of parables, right? Parables are generally short stories that have some kind of religious meaning. Um, they were common in Jesus' day. Webster Dictionary just defines it as this. Usually a short, fictitious story that illustrates a moral attitude or a religious principle, right? It's a short story, generally something common, using everyday language or examples, and it has a deeper, maybe moral meaning or, or kind of maybe a, a thing you can pull away from it. And this was common. It was a common tool of, of religious teachers in the day. So Jesus is using a tool that would have spoken to his audience. But I think Jesus is doing even more because that isn't that kind of Jesus. He's always takes something and kind of makes it just a little bit better, right? So when, when people would come and hear Jesus and he would share parables, they were used to that, but there was something different about this man. There was something different about the way he spoke and what he was talking about. And so I, that's a good definition by Webster, but I, I wanna propose a different definition for you today. See, what I would say, friends, is that a parables, they show us who Jesus is, what he's up to, and, and how his kingdom works. 
We're gonna study parables throughout this summer, and I think if we don't understand what a parable is and why Jesus used them, we might miss out and be like, oh yeah, yeah, good Samaritan, cool. Uh, yeah, lost coin, sure, pearl. Jesus is important, cool. And you just, you, just, you, just, you just move over it. And we might miss out on who Jesus is because in every one of these stories, you, you, you hear this glimpse of who Jesus is or what he's doing or what his kingdom looks like, right? And so I want us to dive back into some of these. These might be new to you. Sometimes maybe these stories have been, you've heard them since you were a little kid over in Sunday school. But there's something new for us because you know what? These stories continue on thousands of years later. Uh, one of my favorite authors, N.T. Wright, um, he wrote a book called Simply Jesus. If you're looking for a summer read, it's a little bit, it's, it's a dense read, but it's good. And I would encourage it, it you might have to put it down for a little bit, okay? It's one of those reads. But he, he says this about parables. I, I love this quote. He says, as part of his campaign, Jesus told stories. They were for the most part, not simply illustrations. That is preacher's tricks to decorate an abstract thought or complicated teaching. If anything, they were the opposite. See, Jesus' stories are designed to tease to clothe the shocking and revolutionary message about God's kingdom in garb that would leave the listeners wondering, trying to think it out. They were stories that eventually caused Israel's leaders to decode his rich message in such a way as to frame a charge against him, either of blasphemy, sedition, or leading the people astray. Whatever the parables are, they are not as children are sometimes taught in Sunday school, earthly stories with heavenly meaning. Rather, they are expressions of Jesus' shocking announcement that God's kingdom was arriving on earth as it is in heaven. That's pretty good. It's way better than anything I could say. Yeah, they're not just simply stories of earthly stories with heavenly meaning, but they're doing more. And, and, and so if that's what a parable is, if it's something more than that, and, and Jesus wants to teach us something, I think the next natural question before we dive into a bunch this, this um, summer is, is why? Why did Jesus use them? He could have done anything else. I went to seminary and they were like, hey, make teaching really clear, really short, say what you want to say four times, you know, get, get it really clear, you know? And, and Jesus is like, well, he didn't go to seminary. He, you know, he, he, he was trained rabbi, but he's like, no, nah, I'm not doing that, you know? So I always laugh because I was a teacher before as a pastor and, you know, you're like, what's a good communicator? And Jesus he kind of just, man, he does his own thing. So why do you use him? Why do you use him? Well, he, he actually says in Luke 8, so I think we should start there, right? It's always good to, talk, to start with what Jesus says. So if you have your Bibles, we're in Luke 8, the second um, half of verse 8. And this is coming off the heels of another parable that we won't talk about today. But I love this. It, this is Jesus speaking. He said, when he said this, he called out, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. And his disciples asked him what this parable meant. And he said, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God have been given to you. But to others, I speak in parables so that though seeing, they may not see. Through hearing, though hearing, excuse me, they may not understand. See, I think Jesus used parables for three main reasons. Three main reasons. I'll put them up here on the board for you. Because you know, if I'm here, it's going to get a little interactive, right? A little teacher comes out a little bit. So why? Why parables? You can write these down as you're studying. This might help you as we do this this summer. Why parables? I think the first one is curiosity. If I misspell something today, please have mercy on me, okay? Thank you, thank you. You guys are great already. Uh, 
Curiosity, remember, friends, if you, I don't know if you've heard a lot about Jesus, maybe this is your first time, maybe your first time checking in online or from a campsite or a boat, however you're engaging with us, we're, we're grateful you're here. Um, maybe on a boat, I don't know how that actually worked, but um, so that, maybe I'm off on that one. But curiosity. See, Jesus would tell these stories and sometimes they didn't make full sense. Sometimes they weren't always so clear, but remember, Jesus wants our attention. He wants our time. He wants intimacy. He wants us. He doesn't just want to tell us a moral lesson and be like, cool, I can do that and go and be gone, right? Because that's what other religious teachers want. But Jesus is saying, come follow me, come follow me. So there's a heart behind that as he would tell something that I, I can imagine you hear this. It says his disciples went to him and said, Jesus, what, what do you mean? There's a curiosity there. There's, there's a leaning in. There's a bringing an arm around someone saying, hey, this, this is kind of what this means. And, and friends, if you, I don't know what you've heard about Jesus, but Jesus wants that desperately for all of us. He wants to bring us in and, and to answer some of those things. And they're not always super clear, but he likes, that, he likes that moment. And so Jesus is doing that, speaking to a crowd, knowing that there are some in this crowd that are, have ears to hear, right? There's some that are eager to understand who God is. And maybe that's you this morning. Maybe that's you online. Maybe you're in here, you're going, man, I'm gonna give this God thing a try and I don't really always know everything, but I'm gonna try it out. And so maybe you have ears to hear. But there's also some in the crowd that, um, weren't so happy about Jesus, right? And they were kind of watching him and he was starting to say some pretty radical things. And so this is why it's, I think Jesus is the smartest person on earth. I don't think that's a hard, hard uh, argument to make, but he's able to tell a parable that reaches the, the lost, reaching the searching. At the same time, he's confusing those that would later try to crucify him, right? So he's drawing people in while some people are going like, huh, what does that mean? And then they would like pontificate and they would sit around and like, and they're like, well, what do you, what do you mean, Jesus? And, and Jesus is literally buys himself time to carry out the mission of God, right? He gets, gets three years of ministry. He carries it out while the whole time secretly telling them little bits and bits about, hey, I'm at, because if he would have said, hey, P.S., I'm God today, I'm, I'm Jesus, I'm the son of God, they probably would have crucified him on the spot, right? But he keeps giving little bits and pieces to the point, like N.T. Wright points out, they're like, whoa, this guy's saying heretical things and they put him to the cross. But yet by that time, his mission was already complete. He'd already shared the gospel. He'd already proclaimed that the kingdom is here and now, right? And at the same time, you actually hear him quote Isaiah 10 in this passage. This is what's crazy. Jesus is reaching the lost. He's confusing what would be his enemies. And he's also fulfilling prophecy, Old Testament prophecy at the same time. I'm not that good of a communicator that I can do three things at one time. I can't do that. I don't think any of us on staff can, right? We can't fulfill prophecy, confuse people, and then also reach those who are hearing. It's amazing. So why, why does he do these things? Last, he, he, he buys himself time, or I could say he fools the, par fools the Pharisees. And he fulfills prophecy. You see that time and time again. He, he quotes the old prophets things that were foretold of what the Messiah would do. It's amazing. That's why I think Jesus, man, I, the more you get into the word, you're gonna find Jesus, I think, one of the most fascinating people in the world. So this morning, what I wanna do with that in mind, what a parable is and why a parable, I want us to dive into our first parable. Can we do that today? Awesome. So let's go ahead and turn to uh, Luke 7. You're almost there. You might just flip one page. See how I did there for you? You're welcome. I know it's a holiday weekend. Don't freak out, Okay. Luke 7, we're going to be uh, in a very famous passage starting in verse 36. If you like old school Bible study, get ready, because this is going to be that, okay? If some of you guys are like, oh no, um, you'll be all right, hang in there with me. I'll make it fun, okay? 
verse 36, really famous story. Some of you guys are really familiar. If you're not, you're, just, just wait. It's gonna blow your socks off today. Verse 36, when one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. Verse 37, a woman in that town who had lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. So let's pause right there. That's quite a scene. It was very common in Jesus' day. A Pharisee, he's a religious elite. He would have known the Old Testament. He would have been kind of a bigwig amongst the religious know-it-alls at the time. And it would have been common for them to host traveling teachers. And so, you know, it'd been kind of like good PR, maybe a virtuous thing to do. Maybe if you've housed somebody, you're like, yeah, I'd be willing to house this guy. So he houses Jesus. He says, hey, you can come into my house for dinner. And, and there seems to be a scene, and, and I don't know who all was there, but in that time, they would have leaned kind of to their side with their legs out. And so um, Jesus is kind of leaning back, and they're, they're, there's a round table, or they're, they're circled around, and maybe they're discussing, and you can imagine what that room would look like. And then out of nowhere, a woman burst onto the scene. Now, what we know about this woman is that she had lived a sinful life. We don't know exactly what that sinful life was. Some assume it might have been... Um, sexual sin of some sort, um, maybe uh, adultery. We, we don't really know. Maybe a prostitute. Maybe it could have been a multitude of things. But the point is that the town knew her as the sinful woman. That, that's how she was identified. That's how scripture identifies her as the sinful woman. And it's hard for me to say, I'm like, man, that's, man, imagine if the town just called you the sinful whoever. That's terrible. But she's known as that. And a couple crazy things about it. It doesn't seem like she was invited because she burst into the scene. She finds out where he is, which a plot implies that maybe she might've had some other encounter with Jesus. That maybe as he was going about walking and talking and teaching that she'd encountered Jesus and this was like her coming. She's like, man, maybe that there was some kind of uh, moment where there was forgiveness or something happened previously. Maybe he had revealed himself to her and, as, as the Lord and Savior. And, and so she is so overwhelmed with, man, Jesus is there. I'm willing to go in. She breaks into a dinner party. And then can you imagine that? Like, I don't know how you guys get a good cry out, but like, that's ugly crying, y'all. That's ugly crying. If you're crying so much that I'm wetting your feet enough to wash them, that's a lot, that's a lot there. And then I got long hair, but to imagine to get down and be so low that I'm using my hair to wash someone's feet. And we're talking sandals, dirt road, first century Israel. This is dirty, messy, nasty ground the days travel and she is weeping so, so profusely that she's able to wash Jesus' feet and dry them with her hair in front of a whole crowd that doesn't want her there, that did not invite her. And the problem is even within that society, most women would not have shown their hair. Like that was kind of a thing reserved for marriage. And so the fact that she's revealing her hair and washing Jesus' feet, there's so many like cultural no-nos happening right there that you can imagine all the air was just taken out of the room. And she didn't care. She pours out alab and this, this jar of perfume, alabaster on, it, on Jesus, which would have been, it could have been like a dowry. It could have been a life savings. It would have been kind of the most precious thing for her. And she just comes and she's crying. She's weeping and she's pouring this oil onto her. Maybe that was the last of her money, but she pours it out on Jesus. She doesn't like, there's a little bit, you know, like she, she dumps the thing on Jesus. She like pours it out because she's found the one 
who she thinks is worth going all in for, y'all. And everybody is confounded. Here, we're gonna pick this back up. Verse 39, Pharisee who was hosting the dinner, he says, when the Pharisee who had invited him said this, saw this, he said to himself, you can imagine him mumbling, maybe under his breath, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what, what kind of woman this is, that she is a sinner. Man. Jesus, I can imagine with some frustration and some justice in his mind, he says, Jesus, and these are some harsh words here, but whenever Jesus says, I have something to say to you, it's never great, right? Or you better listen. So he says, Simon, I have something to say to you. He says, well, or to tell you. He says, well, tell me, teacher, right? And so then we get into the parable. He says, two people who owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii, the other 50. Denarii, one denarii is about one day's wages. So if you can imagine someone's, they're, they're in debt for about over a year's worth, 50, you know, a little over a month or so, um, one owed 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Notice, notice it doesn't say which one did the lender love more, but which one would love the lender more? So Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman. Love it, he says he turned toward her. And then he said to Simon, do you see this woman? He identifies her. He's calling out the fact that Simon hadn't even seen her. He just saw her sin. He just saw her about her reputation. But he said, do you see her, Simon? Do you see this woman that's in front of you? He says, I came into your house. But you, oh, I'm sorry. I came into your house. You do not give me any water for my feet. But she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss. But this woman has, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You do not put oil on my head, but she has poured out perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Might need a little context here. So in a day, if you were a good host, you would have provided at least minimum a bowl of water to wash up. You know, your mom tell you, go get cleaned up for dinner. That was me. It was like, you gotta put a shirt on. You gotta go wash your hands. You don't put your elbows on the table. Those were like our three rules, right? Tank tops sometimes counted, but it, sleeves were preferred, okay? You, you were supposed to have water, at least to wash your feet. And, and in that culture, it was, it was saved for slaves and servants to wash people's feet. But it doesn't seem like this guy wasn't even cared about that. He, he just let Jesus come in his house because he, he was more worried about the publicity of having Jesus in his house and having what other people would like to see him. Oh, look, I had the holy teacher in my house. But he didn't really think Jesus had anything for him, Right? Because if he would, if he would have been a good host, if he would have recognized who Jesus was, he would have provided water for Jesus to at least wash up. He said, hey, you would have given me like the brotherly kiss. You know, when you give a big hug and embrace, you would have at least done that. You did nothing. But this woman, in the midst of all her sin, she's been kissing my feet. You didn't, you didn't give me any oil. And you can imagine stinky summertime oil, been nice to kind of perfume you up a little bit, you know? So you'd have like a little, you know, a little powder room per se of like oils and things that people could maybe clean up. He said, you, you didn't give me any oil, but she, she's poured out the most precious thing to her. And because of this, not because she did this, but it's out of a great sign of her love for me that she's done this. And see, he's connecting this parable with how much we're forgiven and how much we're loved. How much we love 
will be a reflection of how much we believe we've been forgiven. Friends, this is a, a pretty intense parable and it continues on. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. Now, when he's saying this, he's not just saying, hey, God forgives you. He is in that place. Like when they hear him say this, what they, what they knew that in that time was he was saying, only God has the power to forgive. So this is one of those times that would have got people riled up because you can't forgive sins. You can't do that. That's God's job. But he's literally saying, your sins are forgiven. He says it to this woman and you can imagine the crowd getting really upset. So the other guests begin to say amongst themselves, who is this who even is forgiving sins? And yet Jesus, he doesn't stop. He just continues to talk to the woman. He says, Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. So you can imagine as the dinner party's getting raucous and it's getting crazy. Jesus, he talks to the woman with a bad reputation. And he's not a man, he's not a man of bad reputation, but he, scripture tells he was a man of no reputation. He didn't care what everybody else was saying. He, he said, you know what? Go in peace. You're, you're, he reminds her again. He says it again. Your sins are forgiven. Your faith has saved you. Friends, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Just look through this passage. These are the things that he did. He ate with his enemies. He ate with his enemies. The people that literally would take him to the cross later, he went and sat with them. How many of us would go sit with our enemies right now? The people we disagree with, those who want us harm us. He hung out with sinners. He corrects the proud. Most of Jesus' corrections are mostly for the people who think they got it all right who are proud and just like this Pharisee where he's like, man, I, can, I don't really need him. I don't, I'm, maybe he can give me a nice little parable. Maybe he'll give me a little extra add-on teaching, but I don't think this guy really has much for me. He forgives generously. He's gracious in mercy. He sees the person, not just their sin. And it seems that he's unconcerned with the status quo. Friends, I don't know what you've been told about Jesus. I don't know. Um, it's not always exactly popular to be a believer right now. I don't know what you're seeing and it might be difficult, but if you're sitting here today and you're like, man, I've heard of some other Jesus other than that, I would encourage you, hear these words from, hear his actions right here. This is who Jesus is. If you've been taught something else, I'm really sorry, but this is who our God is. This is why we make such a big deal about Jesus around here. That's why we sing songs to him and we have people who write songs and worship and who are willing to serve little kids down there this morning and hold your babies because you know what? They love the Lord and they've experienced the love of the Lord. So friends, I wanna spend the rest of our time here this morning. Now that we know what a parable is and why parables and who Jesus is, I, I wanna dive into what is Jesus really teaching us in this parable? What is he up to? And I think there's three things that he's doing in here that's primary things. I think he's calling us to recognize our sin, right? Because he calls out, we both have debts, right? Two people have debts. They both owe and they both can't pay. Right, so he's, he's saying, hey, what, what, what's your sin? How much is that? And what's that look like? And then he also challenges our self-reliance because I, I believe in this story, the Pharisee didn't think he really needed much from Jesus. He didn't, he didn't feel like his sins stacked up. He probably thought he was the 50, 50 denarii guy. So he's like, well, I could, probably, I could probably pay it off myself. Maybe if I'm just good enough or I come to church enough times or throw a couple Hail Marys or uh, whatever the currency might be today. Maybe I'm just a good person. I might drop a couple bucks in the plate someday. I could probably pay that debt. But see, the woman who was known as the sinful woman, she knew that she could never pay that debt. So Jesus challenged our self-reliance. And lastly, he offers freedom to the humble one. As Kayla and I, we were, we were kind of talking about this last night and trying to wrestle with it. I, I think I, I like to make things visual because I'm, I'm not always super bright, but it might help you guys out, okay? Will this help? So if you got a piece of paper, 
Um, if you got a notebook, I, we're going to make a circle. I, th- I think there's a cycle to this as I've seen in my life. And, um, and so if you got something to write or take a picture of this, please do. But the first thing we want to look at is um, I want to look at uh, the, the Pharisee's response. So, so we see him respond with pride, right? And friends, we know that pride's the first sin. It's, it's right there in the Old Testament. We know that there's this reliance of I can do this, right? I mean, Satan in the garden said, well, I deserve some glory. I, did, I think I, I, I'm pretty awesome. It's the first sin and we all are suffering from this idea of sin. And I believe sin at the, at the core, we don't believe God is good or that he's in control and we think I could do better than him, right? Think about your own sin patterns in your life. What are those areas where you're like, God, I don't think actually you can control that, so I'll do that. Maybe it's your finances. Maybe it's your marriage. You're like, well, I'm not getting what I need on my marriage, so I'll just take control of that and look at some stuff on the internet or I'll just have this affair, I'll do whatever. But, but I, I'm not gonna trust that God can actually do anything with that. I, I'll, I'll step in. It's like that Jesus is my co-pilot thing. You're like, no, just move over Jesus, I'll take care of that. That's a pride issue. It's a pride issue where we say, God, I got this, right? So there's pride, but I think what happens is we know that doesn't work, so then that leads to hiding and shame. We deflect, we, 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 go, we go, well, I'm not as bad as that person. Or we hide it. So we don't actually come to God with these things that actually what our debts are. We just actually, we, we pass the buck on somebody else or we hide it or we don't ever tell anybody, how you doing? God, good, doing great, man. God's good all time. All time, God's good. He is good. His goodness is not dependent on how good you're doing, okay? He's good. He is good. But maybe we need to be honest about really where we're at, but we have to, we do this shot shame or we're doing this hiding and, and we don't, we, we, we don't let people in and we, we don't get in a group because of that. And we, we don't, we kind of keep ourselves isolated. We just watch Netflix all the time, right? And then what happens is this becomes that, that pattern of self-reliance. Self-reliance. I can be God. I can take care of it. If I just grip my teeth hard enough, if I just dig down and read enough self-help books, if I just get in good enough shape and I drink enough green juices, I'll be fine. I'm God, I'm in control. I don't need anybody's help. I become like the Pharisee and if I just learn enough, do enough religious stuff, maybe I'll just get a little bit of, Jesus can add to my life. He can do a little drip, drop, he can add a little sprinkle in my life, but I got most of it under control. But what happens guys is I think if we see this cycle, I see it time and time again, people get stuck or sometimes cynical. Again, we get, we get angry at other people, man, Christians these days or kids these days or man, this woman, that sinner. Can you believe that? Can you believe she'd come in and make a fool of herself in here? Friends, that's the Pharisee. That, but what I wanna make a point today is that we all have an opportunity every single day to be a Pharisee or the woman. And if I'm being honest, there's a lot of days I'm the Pharisee because there's a lot of days it look like, even as a pastor, I can look like, man, I'm, I'm doing pretty okay. And I, I don't need God to forgive me that, that much. Because do we really believe in this story he didn't have anything to be forgiven of? Anybody's in this room, you're human, you're like, man, I got, I got some stuff. Well, you've been walking with the Lord for five minutes, five years, five decades. You know you need the Lord. But we often forget this because we start looking around and we start hiding and we start becoming self-reliant and we either get stuck or cynical or jaded. And then what? It just keeps going, right? So then I get more prideful because then this, oh, Jesus doesn't work and oh, we'll church people. And then, oh, you know what? I don't need to come to this. But what do we see from the woman? What do we see the woman's response? 
we see humility as the beginning of it, right? Friends, she's willing to make a fool of herself to come and experience Jesus. Can you imagine? Like, as I read that story, I'm like, man, would I really run in here in front of all of you guys, get down, ball my eyes out, wash Jesus' feet if he was here? Like, we hear that, and that seems so radical, and I wrestle with that because I'm like, man, would I really do that? Would I go all in? And we talk about being all in for Jesus all the time, all your time, talents, treasures, plans. That's what this woman was doing. She doesn't care who's there. She doesn't care about what her past reputation is. She had experienced something with God and she goes, he's worth going all in for. So I'm gonna bring what money I have. I'm gonna bring, I don't care about my reputation, my time, my energy. I'm gonna, I just wanna worship God. And that's what she's doing. She doesn't care about everybody else. She's not caring about what everybody's looking at. She comes in and that takes a humble spirit. Friends, you cannot be prideful and worship God. Like you, you can't, they're, 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 they're against each other. And humility is the beginning of your healing here. It's admitting, man, I'm not, I, I do have a great list of sins. I do need stuff to be forgiven. I'm not good at being God. If we can't start there, we're, we're, in, we're in danger, friends. See, what happens when we, we, when we practice humility, we acknowledge our sin. She knows this. She, she, she comes. We gotta, we gotta actually know, like, God, I, I'm not doing so great. I'm gonna acknowledge my sin. We acknowledge it, God, I need you. I, I wanna worship you the rest of my life. And what we see this, this leads to repentance, right? We see this. We have to actually say, God, I'm, I'm sorry. And repentance doesn't say I'm sorry, but God, I, I know this way of life leads me to death. Because I've lived this circle enough times and there's some point where you gotta say, God, I don't wanna go back to that circle no more. That circle doesn't work. Someone has had my repentance of sin, right? Which leads to worship, obedience, sacrifice. If you can't read my writing, I'm very sorry but the Holy Spirit works in miraculous ways. So what do we see this woman? She humbles herself. She's willing to put herself out there. She acknowledges her sin. She knows her sins are many. They say this sinful woman that walked in here. But yet she, he says that your faith, your love, it's, it's an act of worship and your faith has, has saved you. So Jesus says to her, it's not because she did that, but it's, it's an overflow of her love, right? It's an, actually an action. It's, it's love and action. It's, it's gratitude and action that she's coming before and she goes, Jesus, I'm all in. I'm following you. I'm gonna give you everything I got. And yet we still get to talk, talk about this woman now. And it's interesting because she's referred to as a sinful woman. But man, when I read that, I'm like, man, I wanna be that woman. Now, I imagine some of you in this room wanna be that woman. It leads us to worship obedience and sacrifice. Friends, I think all of us in this room, we have a chance every single day to choose this. Do we, do we become the Pharisee or do we be the, the woman? And that's a daily choice, y'all. But I know that what happens, it, and I love this about new believers because when they get this, when you, when you encounter Jesus for the first time, like they're in, man. They're, they're like that woman. They're like, man, I just want everybody to know Jesus. I'm out there telling my friends. I, I want this, man. And, and then something happens. If you've been in this church for a few decades, something happens where we start to think we get in these patterns and we think, I don't need that much forgive enough. And friends, I think I, I talk to people all the time as a pastor and they're like, man, I just don't feel like I'm feeling God and having a hard time worshiping. And they talk about their obedience to God. And they're like, well, yeah, it's kind of, 
I try to do it sometimes. I try to listen to God, but, you know, or, or I see this like they don't want to sacrifice. They're real resistant to sacrifice things. And, and, and that was me. I know this because I was in seminary and I went through this myself and I felt myself in a rut. And um, I had a mentor, a spiritual director help me with something. And I'm actually going to, we're going to close our time, but I'm going to do it with you guys. Is that okay? Because you know, if I'm up here, I'm going to make it interactive. Like that, you don't get a choice to sit here today. Like, sorry, come back another week, okay? But um, my, my, my mentor, he said, hey, Logan, I want you to try to do this for me. Um, he's like, because if you're struggling to, to worship and ask for God, he's like, I think you've lost, um, you've lost connection with how much God's forgiven you. And so my last thing for you today is, does your life acknowledge what Jesus has done for you? Does your life look like that woman's life or does it look like the Pharisee where like, yeah, I'll let Jesus come to my house for a little bit. I'll like come to church. I might even say I'm a believer, but I don't really want him to change anything in my house. I don't wanna make, make me uncomfortable, right? I just want a little bit. I want a little taste, but I don't wanna go all in. And, and so that was me. And, and, I, and even as like a pastor and wrestling with this, my friend was just like, Logan, does your life, he asked me this question, does your life acknowledge what Jesus has done? Like, you can't worship if you don't realize how much God is continually doing for you. Because friends, he didn't just die for our sins that day. Like he did, but like he, he paid for our sins, past, present, future, Right? So Jesus in that moment, he didn't, we're not worthy of that. But in that moment, he goes, you know what? Every single person in this room, every person online, yep. I know everything you haven't even done yet. And you're still, I love you. I'm going to cross for you. And so this is what we're gonna do today. If you got like a piece of paper, you can use one of those note cards. I don't care what you use. You can use your phone notes. Go ahead and pull that out for me, okay? I want everybody, I'll, I'm gonna do it with you because I would never ask you to do something I would not do. You got a piece of note, or a little note card here, okay? Grab something you write on, phone, whatever it is. I'm gonna teach you what my friend did for me so many years ago. And he said, Logan, what I want you to do is start just taking an inventory of where you've fallen short. What are those things in your life? What are those things? And so this is what we'll do. I'll give you a pass. Last 24 hours. What is, and be, be specific, spouses, roommates, friends, don't nudge them and be like, hey, you know what you did. You know, this isn't, this is between you and the Lord. I'm not reading this. We're not collecting these. Please do not put them in the offering plate. You know, we don't need that unless you really want to talk to us. Um, but this is you, I'm gonna, I got a clock, clock, 30 seconds. I want you to be as specific as you can. Write down everything you know you've messed up in the last 24 hours. Ready? Let's go, 30 seconds. Great. Five, four, three, two, one. Okay, look at that list. My friend had made me do this for you. He said, oh, look, I want you to keep a, a journal for a week. And, and I had to carry my things. And, and, and guys, this is difference. Is if you grew up in this and you see this list and it's making something stir up and you're like, ah, I don't like that about me. Guess what? That may be the Holy Spirit speaking to you. Because friends, I think there's, we've, we've misconstrued some things. Conviction's good. Conviction's good. Conviction's when I see this list. I made some on that list, made some on your paper, and you're looking, you're going, man, some of these things have been going on for years. Some of these things I have no idea what to do about. Man, God, I thought this was done in my life, but man, conviction's good. Shame tells you to go hide. That's a tool of the enemy. That's a tool from the mouth of Satan and hell itself, man. 
Because we need to be a people of conviction and confession that say, God, I, I believe that you're the only one that can forgive my sins. And let's be honest, I'll give you 30 seconds. How, how long could you have done this for? And if you say, I have nothing to write down, you definitely have something to write down. I would encourage you to come back to this one, right? And so friends, this is what we're gonna do this morning. I wanna give you two options. We can engage these stories all summer. We can say, man, that's great. Jesus got a little bit of something for me. Or could we come back to the heart of God? Because friends, guys, when I look at this list, there's things I'm like, man, this is a, this is a sample size. And man, if I, just, if I just think I can fix these things and I'm like, I'm like the Pharisee, I'm just the 50 denarii guy. But friends, we all have sins that we can, we can't, the Bible tells us we can't pay for these debts ourselves. We can't, we can't fix ourselves. We are dead in our sin. But yet because of Jesus, and what he did on the cross for us, he lived a perfect life, something I never, none of us have, right? Just checking. And because of that, and because of his sacrifice for us, we can have eternal life with him. But what do he say? That his kingdom's here, it's coming now. That we can experience the peace of heaven right now and that the, the church is meant to be that expression throughout this valley and throughout this world and throughout this state. And so when people engage us, they encounter us, they're engaging a little bit of who Jesus is. And they should see it in a life of, Worship and obedience and sacrifice. There's a lot of bad PR about believers right now. But you know what it looked like? Pretty awesome if we were people of obedience, sacrifice, worship. So that's what we're gonna do today. We've got two options for you. If you got a list here and you're going, man, I don't even know what this is. What do I do with this? Guys, we're gonna get a little old school. I got a little Pentecostal in my background, okay? So you're gonna be all right. I'm a church of God grandson. Like there's gonna be a little time for prayer up here, okay? And some of us like, we gotta just come and get right with Jesus. Because here's what I'm saying. If you're saying you're like, I would never do that. I think you're missing it. Because this woman walked in with a bad reputation. Doesn't matter who was around her. They, they all knew who she was up, what she was up to. And she came forward to worship Jesus. And I'm gonna encourage you, if you haven't come down for a long time where you're like, man, there's some stuff on my list. It's been on here for two decades. It's time for you to come home to Jesus. And so some of y'all, you just need to get uncomfortable a little bit. Jesus doesn't call us to comfortable. He calls us to, to follow him. And I'm gonna encourage you, come. There's gonna be uh, people pray with you. There's gonna be, if you're a small group leader, if you're a, a staff member, hey, don't let anybody leave them up here by themselves, high and dry. Like, hey, I came forward, what? You know, like, come pray with someone. You don't even have to even know what it's all about. You can just come lay a hand on their shoulders. Friends, that's what it means to be part of the church that you can come and receive and you can confess your sins and you can hear, man, the Lord's forgiven you of that. You're dead to that, man. Hey, let's talk about this. Let's move in this direction. It might be holiday weekend, man, but Jesus ain't done saving lives. He ain't taking no vacation. He's here right now. He wants to move and change your life this morning. So if that's you, let the day be the day. And I, friends, my list will change tomorrow and yours will too. And you know what? Come and confess. Come and commit yourself again to the Lord. Tell him you need him some more. Get some help. And there's some of us in this room. Number two, I want you to worship like you never worshiped before. Some of you guys are just goalpost people, you know, like you're here and that's good. If you, I'm not trying to tell you God be like, do what's next, but my man, like, let's get after it, man. We got, pe we got reasons to worship. And if we're sitting here and be like, ho-hum, who's this dude in my, we're like the Pharisee. We're the Pharisee. And guys, I don't wanna be the Pharisee. And you know what it means? I gotta get out of my comfort zone. I gotta do something about it. And so friends, I encourage you this morning. We're gonna close here. We're gonna pray. And I'm gonna pray for you in just one moment. And then when we do, when they come out to sing, they're gonna sing a song about Alabaster Heart. Ain't that fitting? We're gonna sing, it's almost like we, we try to tie that up, right? 
This ain't about who's around you. I don't care if someone invited you. I don't care if you're like, man, it would be weird if I went down there because I'm so-and-so. That, that don't matter. Come and meet with the Lord this morning. I want you to encounter the one that can save you, not me. My words don't save you. It's Jesus and him alone that can save you. With that list, be ready to respond, y'all. Let me pray for y'all. <clears throat> Lord, I, I just confess my need for you today, Lord. I, I don't wanna tally up my sins. I don't wanna have some list of me trying to figure out if I'm good enough. Lord, I know I fall short. And Lord, I'm, I'm encouraged because I'm surrounded by a bunch of people that fall short. You know, we all need you. Those online here in this room, Lord, I just pray, Holy Spirit, would you move? Would you get us uncomfortable enough? Would we, as we hear from you, would we just recognize that's me? I got a great sin debt. And even though I might've been a believer for a long time, I wanna come and say, God, I'm sorry. I wanna turn the other direction. Because Lord, our life is a, is a life of repentance. Our life is me continuously coming back and saying, you are God, not me. You are good, not me. God, you are holy and make me holy. So Lord, would we do that this morning? I pray against the enemy and anybody like, uncomfortability and all the nonsense that, Lord, I wanna be the woman. I wanna be the woman in the story that I just get out of my comfort zone. I go all in for you. So Lord, I pray for every single person in this room and online. Would they get out of their comfort zone? Would they respond? And Lord, Holy Spirit, would you minister to their hearts like only you can? Would we feel your love and presence like a renewal of our spirit? And Lord, I just pray that it would change our lives, our families' lives, our coworkers, our schools, everybody's room. Lord, you said the children have come to you, everybody along the whole spectrum. There is room for them at your table, Lord. Your house ain't getting full anytime soon. There is more room. And so Lord, would you speak to us? Would, you, would we respond to your gospel? Would we hear that you are a God who loves us and who is holy and who is just and you are the only one worth worshiping? I'm not a very good God, but you are. So Lord, would I humble myself and worship you this morning? Amen. As they're playing, if you feel led to respond, guys, come on down. Come on down. We're gonna have some people to pray with you guys. If you're a small group leader, I encourage you, come on down, worship and pray with us together. Thanks for engaging with this content. If it was encouraging to you, we'd love for you to leave a review. Hit that subscribe button and share this content with others. We'd also love to connect with you. The best place to do that is journeyweb.net. Don't forget to follow us on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. Just search Journey Church Bozeman and you'll find us there. If you'd like to give to our ministry, you can do that now at journeyweb.net slash give. Once again, thanks for engaging with Journey Church.